you're walking your cavoodle and someone might say, oh, what's that? That looks like a schnoodle. And all of a sudden you'll start thinking, schnoodle? I thought it was a cavoodle. I'm going to do my DNA test to verify. Genetic testing has advanced hugely over the past few years. After some 10 years, we catch up with our old friend George Sophronides from Oravit again and discuss the technological advances, prediction of traits and the significance of genetic health tests. If I'm buying a pet, I want to make sure that that pet does not carry or have any hereditary diseases that can be screened for. Are you a veterinarian dreaming about working down under in New Zealand? If so, I'd love to help you make that dream come true. Hi, I'm Julie South of VetStaff. VetStaff is New Zealand's only recruitment agency specialising in the Kiwi veterinary sector. We can help you find your dream job down under, from short-term locum assignments through to permanent employment and residency. Because we know God's own Aotearoa New Zealand like the back of our hands, we can match your career aspirations with a clinic that'll suit you best. Whether you're planning to work here for a few months or forever. If it's got anything to do with working in a vet clinic in New Zealand, we can help. Vetstaff.co.nz You are listening to The Vet Podcast, presented by veterinarian Dr Brian Greger from New Zealand. Join us as we discuss pet health issues from around the world. Those of you who listened to an interview I did in a podcast two or three months ago might remember me talking to George Sophronides from Orivet. That interview was actually recorded 10 plus years ago, which is aging both of us. I know I've put a little bit of weight on. George, welcome back to talk to us again in real time now. First thing is, can you tell us what Orivet is? Brian, thank you for having me back. Yes, it's been a long time. And yes, did you say you've put on weight? Don't worry, because I've put on grey hair. At least you've got here, mate. Yeah, I've got some options, as they, as I like to say, with it. I can put it to one side or the other. But um, yeah, so what does Orivet do? Good question. Like, Well, it's fairly simple and straightforward. We do. It's the same thing I've been doing for the last sort of 20-odd years. We offer a, a range of genetic tests to companion animal enthusiasts, I like to call them. Or, you know, and that, those enthusiasts could be breeders, veterinarians, and pet owners. But the majority of what we do, we offer to the breeder. So we offer them close to about 260-odd health tests and 40 phenotypic or trait tests to assist them with breeding management and ensuring on particular diseases for their breed. What has changed since we talked to you last? Oh, good question. Probably 20 years ago, you could make a lot more money, uh, Brian, from it because you could do one test and charge $120. So, of course, what's happened and advanced along the way has been the, the technology. The technology has changed so much that with this new mass array system, you're able to offer 300-odd tests for, you know, $220. So th- the ability to offer more, and with that offering now, I've seen the market changing what and I don't mean to come across in a bad way, the market now is starting to look more for phenotypic tests. Like 20 years ago, I'd struggle to have one breeder pay $60 to find out what colour their dog carried. Now, it's important for them to know what colour they carry because certain colours have 
a better commercial outcome for them. So a particular colour might, 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 might be of more value to them. So the testing has almost gone to the ability now where you can predict certain furnishings, certain colours, and of course we do have our health tests on as well as part of that. And of course the, the way the, the younger beta has changed, the demands change. I want my results yesterday. You know, it's because it's, it's driving more of a commercial outcome for them. So it, it's definitely changing just the way the whole technology, and I wouldn't have guessed the technology would have, you know, in 10 years just changed so much. There's a great little TED talk which talks about how in, you know, 10 years' time it'll be more expensive to flush a toilet, Brian, than what it'll be to sequence a genome. So, you know, it's getting harder and harder with water management, but it's getting more and more affordable and accessible to, to, to DNA sequence a, a whole genome. Can we go back just a little bit here, George, as far as the tests that you're doing? Your clients, what are they testing for? The majority of breeders test for genetic hereditary conditions. So things like there's a whole group of progressive rod cone degenerations, there's things like ivermectin, there's things like degenerative myelopathy, there's things like uh, Van Goopten disease. Most breeders want to try and screen and eliminate where they can specific genetic hereditary conditions. One of the limitations though, and this is what I'd like to say, is there are many conditions that are hereditary that you can't screen for via genetics. Things such as bloats, things such as hip dysplasia, things such as epilepsies. These are complex genetic hereditary conditions that you currently can't screen for. We then have a number of other conditions that are available which are more of your phenotype slash traits that some people want to, some breeders want to screen for. And they sit into another category where they're predicting particular colours that you might carry. If you want a particular particular furnishing or coat type that you're after you know for example the French Bulldogs become a very very popular breed you know if you had have asked me 15 years ago would the French Bulldog be as popular as what it is today I would have said no way it has the consumer who drives a lot of the market always wants something a bit different to what Brian's got so if Brian's got a nice fawn mask French Bulldog if I can get a Merle French Bulldog it sort of stands out a bit more. So we've now seen things like a Merle French Bulldog. Who'd have ever thought? We're starting to see long-haired French Bulldogs. So some breeders are using some of these tests to produce some of these furnishings and colours that are sort of outside of the standard. So there's a particular standard that traditional breeders will breed to, but you can now use some of these genetic tests to start to look for conditions outside of that standard which are more related to the phenotype. But the majority still want to test for hereditary diseases. That's what they want to try and eliminate. Remember, Brian, if I'm buying a pet, I want to make sure that that pet does not carry or have any hereditary diseases that can be screened for. It's actually an offence here in Australia to sell someone an animal with a heritable defect without me being aware of that defect. So the code allows you to produce a dog with DM but you must let me know that that dog does have DM. So most of the tests that you're doing are for the breeders prior to the animal being sold, or is it the owner of the new puppy thinking, I wonder what's wrong with my puppy. If there is anything, I know what, I'll, I'll go and get a DNA test done. And, and that's, an, that's a good question. I've always sort of battled who, who drives what. Is it the breeder who, who's getting it done because they want to I, I think the majority of people who test are the breeders who are driving initially but let's not forget 
Google has given a pet owner an opportunity to do some research and found out more. So sometimes the consumer may ask the breeder, have you tested for these conditions? You know, I'll, I'll research. If I'm going to purchase a Labrador puppy and I'm going to pay, you know, $3,000 for a Labrador puppy, I'm going to do a bit of research. I'm going to get on the internet. I'm going to have a read and I'm going to see that there's certain conditions that you should look for and make sure the breeder tests for and confirms. So I think they're also coming back to the breeder and asking for some of these tests. And I'm also starting to see breeders actually stating on their conditions of sale on their website, DNA tested, DNA clear. So they're starting to use that as a tool to promote their breeding as well. What about things like breed breakdown of an animal you've got a a pound puppy of some sort i remember in the past we used to be able to take samples and say your dog is x amount labrador x amount shepherd x amount chihuahua you're still doing that sort of testing yes we still do the breed id slash ancestry tests and they are very popular and drive all of our pet and pound requests they're a different test to the disease and DNA profiling slash parentage tests which are for a breeders where you use parentage such as a paternity test to verify that the sire and dam are the parents and the breed ID ancestry tests are very very popular to pet owners and pounds because understanding the breed or breeds or composition of your mixed breed dog is an important factor to understanding the predisposition to temperament and behavior you know how big will this dog grow what sort of behavior will it have if it's a if it's a cattle dog cross uh, labrador cross border collie so yes they still are very popular we provide them they're very popular to our veterinarians as well who use them for um, with a blood sample that we offer through advance and it breaks down the breeds it gives you breeds break down into a sort of a family tree of three generations it tends to be popular for a lot of the oodle people we find that sometimes these tests are sort of used by someone who, you know, you might be at a park and you might be walking your cavoodle and someone might say, oh, what's that? That looks like a schnoodle. And all of a sudden you'll start thinking, schnoodle? I thought it was a cavoodle. I'm going to do my DNA test to verify. And we also get quite a few, which is interesting, that send them in when their pet is towards the end of their life. The curiosity factor where, you know, all of a sudden I want to find out what Archie was, you know, all this time and they send a sample in. And of course, there's also the pounds that use them, which is important when you're trying to rehome uh, a mixed breed dog by understanding the breeds and um, then being understand what's going to be required if you're rehoming this dog. Do I, do I find them interesting? Yes, I do. I find them challenging because no matter what happens, the barbecue bet is always wrong because you always assess a dog based on its phenotype and what it looks like. And in you know, there's publications which show you that 85% of the time you get that wrong. So, of course, there's a famous line I use, Brian, which says people request the science and then when they get the science, the science is wrong because it doesn't fit what they thought their dog was. What about identification of an animal? DNA is animal-specific. You're using DNA as an identification as well? Correct. We, we offer a DNA profile, which most people also probably know as a DNA fingerprint, and a DNA profile is unique to any individual. The only dogs that have identical DNA profiles are identical twins. And in my understanding, there's only been one or two cases of identical twins in dogs. And the DNA profile is inherited from 
the mum and the dad in the case of dogs, the sire and the dam, and you inherit 50% of each of your profile from each parent. It's unique. The DNA profile you submit is unique to that animal. It can be used to verify that individual. It can be used to verify a mating. It can be used to verify anything at a dog attack or a crime scene. The DNA that you produce from a hair follicle from the dog is the same as the DNA profile you produce from the blood sample or a saliva sample from the dog. It's just that the quantity and the quality will decrease. So if you're if you're trying to get DNA from a fecal sample, the quality and the quantity won't be as great as the DNA you you obtained from a blood sample. And that DNA profile is then used and used by our breeders to ensure that their pedigree is correct, that their sire and dam is correct. It also has an important tool, especially in the reproductive medicine and reproductive vets, that the semen you're inseminating or implanting is correct. And then it also allows for a very important tool called multiple sires. And you'd be surprised how many people do not think that they could have a multiple sire in one litter. So you can have two different parents to a litter. And that's an excellent tool for breeders to be able to use. Different breeds have different health issues. So I I think you've got a thing called personalised medicine or something. Like if you've got an Afghan, you run specific tests for a specific breed. It's a question I get quite often where people will see a particular disease and go, oh, can you run this for my breed? So one of the limitations, of course, with genetic testing is that they are breed specific. The scientific literature for a hereditary cataract is only relevant to four breeds, yet hereditary cataract can be seen in over 60 breeds. So what we do is we make that process a lot easier to understand by call by having what we call breed profiles so when you're looking at a labrador although there's 290 tests we only give you the 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 17 odd that are relevant for that breed that are scientifically published the literature only states is valid to that breed so you you might you might start seeing a lot of organizations now that offer you these full screens and give you 100 and 200 odd tests for a labrador Well, I'm here to tell you, Brian, that without even running those 220 tests, I could tell you about 170 of them would be negative. They're not relevant. So they're good if you've got a dog that is unknown ancestry. Run them. Great. You know, because there could be a bit of every other breeding there. So if you're a vet and someone brings you in a dog with unknown and it's unknown heritage, run the full screen. Get all the tests done. But if someone brings you in a German Shepherd, you only want to be able to view and analyse the tests that are specific for that breed. And that's what we offer. We just make that journey a lot easier for you where you just order the full breed profile. It comes with all the diseases, all the traits, relevant and specific, and yes, personalised to that breed. We've been talking mainly about dogs. You, You do these similar tests for cats? Oh, cats, don't get me started, Brian. If you thought Dog people were challenging cat people, seances and burning candles and incense going. No, we do offer them. We do offer. Unfortunately, the problem with cats is, and I, 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 is they don't have the the research and the dedication when it comes to science that dogs do. And there isn't as many tests. There isn't really a breed ID slash ancestry test that is 
as accurate and reliable as the dog. There are some common tests, the polycystic kidney disease, the SMAs we see in the Maine Coons, there's the cardiomyopathies, they're, they're all popular. But we find that in cats also, they're driven more by phenotype. It's interesting because most questions in a cat show will come about when, a, when a, someone might question the actual colour or type of that in, in the show ring. So phenotypic tests are important for them. We do offer them. But unfortunately, they don't have the range and, and the, the, the sort of scope that the canine people do. So, yes, we do. Um, most of them, as I said, is, is some of the phenotypic, the blood groups and the fairly common tests. The Vet Podcast has no sponsorship, but as is the way of the world, it still costs money to produce, what with the hosting site, interviewing platforms and software subscriptions. Not to mention the recording equipment required. So if you enjoy the podcasts, why not show it in a small way and buy me a coffee? If you are so inclined, go to buymeacoffee.com slash vetpodcasts or to our social media buyer site. Now back to the podcast. Just to change a little bit here, something that's quite trendy in humans, and I see it's coming into veterinary science, is the microbiome. Is, is that a DNA test or is that done by bacteriology? So that is another uh, DNA test. It's done through a faecal sample that you submit and the analysis undergoes some huge sequencing and then we get together, based on some information we get on the bacterial um, composition of that. And it's becoming more and more popular with a veterinarians because it gives you some some insight and let's not forget the gut is the new brain they all tell us so you know what you what goes in through your gut is really what controls a lot of your emotions just your whole response to d- diseases is some important bacteria in there and i think we might we sort of might talk more about that in another podcast because that's another excellent growing area that we're sort of finding becoming more and more useful especially with the way probiotics can be used to also manage some of these conditions in pets i know it's huge in humans and i believe it's an excellent tool that a veterinarian could use with their um, client to help them manage some of the conditions that we're seeing in some of these pets can we just cut to the chase now we've got people listening to this who think that's a good idea let's get some dna testing done on on my cat cat or dog number one do they need to go to a vet to get that done if you're based in melbourne australia if they are in the states or in new zealand or in the uk or wherever are they able to use you and how do they take the samples so the great thing about DNA testing is collecting a sample is is not very difficult. You can do that at home. We have collection instructions that you follow, very simple to do. You insert a, a, a mouth, a little bristle brush into the cheek, pinch it. But what we do is we do distinguish a sample and results via an approved collection method, which is yes, and an approved collection method, which is no. And if you request a kit from our our employee in New Zealand and it comes to you Brian you can collect the dog yourself you can send it in it'll be an approved collection method no because you've collected your own sample you've submitted the dog you state it is or you can go to any veterinarian any veterinarian is approved or any of our collection agents who will take the sample 
who will verify the dog that you've bought in via its microchip number, who will sign off on the form, who will place the sample and the form in our tamper-proof bag that you will post. That report will then be resulted as an approved collection method. So people need to understand that if you're a member of a, an association, they require an approved collection method. They will not let you submit a sample independently. The integrity of the sample needs to be 100%. But we do get about 60% of our clients that just simply collect it themselves, send it in, follow the process. Um, so yet swabs, easy to use. But people need to be aware that unfortunately with swabs, we have a fail rate between 2 to 7% depending on batches and where they come from. Blood... If, and blood can only be collect, collected by a veterinarian, must be in a EDTA tube, has a 0.1% fail, fail rate. And then, of course, we can collect off semen and we sometimes have to use hair if we can, but um, you can collect it yourself. Most of our listeners are either in the UK or in the US. They can submit samples to you or get their veterinarian to submit samples to you? Yes, they can. So we have uh, a very good relationship with a vet partner in the UK. We have an office in the US. We can ship samples to the... Our permit allows you to ship samples into Australia or our other laboratory in the US at no issue at all. Um, of course, it's, it's not... As I said before, the process of shipping and getting things is where the delays, but from when the sample comes here, we can use it. We have you know, vets that use us in Hong Kong. We have an excellent vet partner in the UK, and we have plenty of vets that use us in the US. We can ship kits out from anything outside of, uh, outside of Australia, New Zealand, and Hong Kong get shipped out by our, our US office, and then the sh samples are shipped back to our US office from Europe and anything in Asia comes to our Australian office. George, I might just have to wrap things up here because we're actually struggling with a fairly dodgy internet connection at the moment. If people want to get in contact with you or have a look at the services that you are supplying, how do they do that? So it's easy. Our website, www.orivet.com, is packed full of information and has information on all our tests, our breeds. Um, you can register online and create an account. I'll give my email out. I'm happy to give it as long as I, I, you know, people don't email me in the middle of the night. It's george at orivet.com. Ask me a few questions if people want to know about the process, if people want to know about how to get started, if people want to apply to become a collection agent, you can nominate online. We, tr we also have a live chat now too. Brian, you can get online and chat to any of our live team. We've, we're trying to always look at ways to improve our, our customer service and we've found that um, unfortunately this generation of me wants answers fairly quickly. So you can do that online for yourself as well. But yeah, it's all very simple. Our website's always a good, good way to start and have a look around at what we do and how things work. George, thanks very much, mate. Uh, I'm going to try and catch up again at some stage. Let's have a talk about the microbiome. But in the meantime, thank you very much. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for the opportunity to reach out again and happy to always chat and educate pet owners, vets and breeders. And that's it for another episode of the Vet Podcast. All of our links are in one place at beacons.ai slash vetpodcast. That is B-E-A-C-O-N-S dot A-I slash vetpodcast. And while you're there, don't forget to buy us a coffee. 
on behalf of me, Brian Greger, and everybody else involved in the making of this podcast, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you again soon. Thank you.